Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you here this morning. We're in part three of our series, Simple Life, How Simple Commitments Create Great Life Change. And so we we're asking this question, how are we going to live simply in such a chaotic world? Such a busy world. Indeed, we live in a world today that we might call a supersized world. We, we're, we're, everything is supersized. And I'm not just talking about McDonald's. You know, McDonald's always wants to upgrade your order. Would you like to supersize that? Have you ever said yes? You'd like to supersize it? And then they hand you a five-gallon Diet Coke that it takes both hands to take back to your table. Like, wow, what did I, I should have never supersized. What, what, can I just get the small? And the small is bigger than the old large, if you notice that. Everything's supersized. And it's not just McDonald's. It's, it's, it's like we've supersized our kitchens, but we don't eat at home anymore. We, we've supersized our cars. We call them SUVs, and we have smaller families. We've supersized our houses, and, and we, we, we eat out. We, we, we've, supersized some, we've supersized our communication, and we talk to each other face-to-face less. We've supersized our social media, and we no longer socialize. Uh, we've supersized perhaps the wrong things, and we've downgraded the best things, and that's each other, spending time together. The truth is God made us for each other. People need people. And uh, why is that? Why? It's because God made us that way. It's because God made us that way. It says in the book of Genesis, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. We're only two chapters into the whole Bible. God has said everything is good that he made. He, he made the sun, he made the moon, he made the stars. He goes, I did good. He made, he made the oceans and he made the plant life and the animal life. And he goes, I did good. I feel good about what I made. Then he made Adam and took a look at him and goes, something's not right. It's not good for man to be alone. God made us that way. Dr. Shelley Taylor at UCLA says, friendships play a far more important role in maintaining good health and having a long life than most people realize. Social ties are the cheapest medicine we have. People with strong social networks are shown to boost their chances of surviving life-threatening illnesses. They have stronger, more resilient immune systems. It improves their mental health. And people that have good social networks live longer than people without social support. These are all proven realities. So that's the first thing is God made us that way. He made us for each other. And, And here's another reason we need each other. It's because we can't grow spiritually without being connected to the body of Christ. You really can't grow spiritually apart from God's people. It says in Colossians, speaking of someone who was being disconnected, he says he has lost connection with the head, which is Christ, from the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We need each other. We need each other to grow. Dr. Ronald Glaser at Ohio State University says, one of the worst things you can do to someone is isolate them. We're made for each other. And especially as believers, we we grow together uh, with each other. And as Stephen said earlier, iron sharpens iron, but sometimes it causes sparks to fly. And so maybe some of you are here today, 
and you've got a church hurt. You've been hurt at another church, or maybe you've been hurt at this church, and, and you just uh, are sort of easing your way back in. But the truth is, uh, every human community, uh, sparks will fly if you get in there. But you can't let that push you away, because maybe that's exactly what we need. Often it's that person that, that challenges us the most, that irritates us the most. Often that's the person that God uses the most to help us grow. Well, that's why God's call through Jesus is so simple. It's a relational call. He says, come, follow me. And, and, and after he says that, he says, following me, he directs us to, to gather together with one another. He calls us first to himself, then he calls us to one another. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul appealed to the believers in Rome to devote themselves fully to God and as, as, as they devote themselves to God, he says, uh, don't conform your minds any longer to worldly thinking, but give your minds over to God so that he can transform your thinking and give you a new mind. And this new mind, this new way of thinking, he says, will cause you to think rightly about your relationship with God. You'll be able to know his will, and you'll also think rightly about yourself and one another. And I believe that we can have this new way of thinking towards ourselves and, uh, and one another. And as we look at the text today, I think we'll see three ways we can have this new way of thinking about ourselves and one another. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. We'll look, start at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This is God's Word. We're looking for three ways on how having this new way of thinking in Christ uh, can change our lives so that we think differently about ourselves and one another. Here's the first way. We can find our true identity in belonging to one another. We can find our true identity in belonging to one another. That's one of the deepest needs of humanity is to know the answer to these two questions. Who am I and where do I fit in? Who am I and where do I fit in? Notice the word think. It's in there several times in verse 3. He, he says, now that you have this new mind, this transformed, renewed mind, there's a new way to think using this new mind. You can know God's will for your life. And you can think of yourself differently. Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. 
You can see the word think there three times. This is about thinking differently about yourself, and not just about yourself, but about others. And, and he says this thinking, uh, you're not to think too highly of yourself. Um, you're, not to, you're not to supersize your self-thinking. But, but he also says to think of yourself with sober judgment, which I think implies you're not to think of yourself too low either. You're th to think of yourself just right, according to the way God sees you. So you get your identity not from those around you, not from looking at yourself in the mirror within, but looking up to Christ. You look for your identity. And then those around you uh, help you gain this sense of belonging, this new community you have in Jesus. He says, to think of yourself according to the measure of your faith, this sober judgment according to the measure of your faith, this idea of not too high, not too low, but just right, to have the right self-image. Uh, Tim Keller gives a description of, of how he thinks the gospel helps us do this. He says, the gospel prevents us thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. We are sinners saved entirely by another's kindness. And the gospel prevents us thinking in a way more lowly than we ought. We are saved sinners and we are loved and valued in the gaze of the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. So says Keller. And in other words, we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves because we're lost apart from Christ. Nor should we think too lowly of ourselves because we're loved by Christ. When we look at the cross, we see both simultaneously. We see that He had to die for us in order to pay for our sins, so we see the ugliness of our sin. But at the same time, we see the love of God portrayed in Jesus, which gives us the appropriate value. We're lost apart from Him, so don't think too highly of yourself, but you're loved because of Him. So think of yourself just right. He loves you. This is right thinking towards yourself. It's the right identity. And it's not, it, it, one, one person has said that it's not um, that you should have low self-esteem uh, or, or not too high. It's, it's not so much thinking more or less of yourself. It's not really thinking of yourself at all anymore. It's, it's, as you grow in Christ, your identity becomes more about thinking of Him and others and not worrying about yourself. So you're not thinking. It's not like a low self-image. It's like I'm not thinking of myself at all anymore. I'm, I'm putting Christ first and I'm putting others ahead of myself. This is a new way of thinking. It's a, it's a new way of belonging to one another. Notice as he continues in verse Four, he says, as in one body. And so we are one body. Christ is the head, and we are one. And he goes on. And the members do not have the same function, so we all have a different gifting, a different shape. In verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We're, we're connected to one another through Christ. We're members of the same family, members of the same body. Paul here uses the analogy of the human body. Christ is the head, we are the members. One translation, the New Living Translation says, verse 5, and since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. Ephesians 2.19, you belong in God's household with every other Christian. 
Now, I don't know if you've introduced yourself to the people seated nearby you or not. I'm going to give you uh, an excellent opportunity to do that right now. And just say this to the person next to you. <laughs> you belong to me. <laughs> I know it's an awkward way to make a new friend, but it could be a great start. <laughs> you belong to me. Why? Because of Jesus, you belong to me, and I belong to you. We are one in Christ, and we're not to live isolated, lonely lives apart, but we're to live together as family. And so every Sunday morning is the family reunion. And we gather to remind one another, we are Christ followers, and we are one family. And so we call each other brother and sister. We, we, we love each other, and we, we love being together. This is why we come together. This is the new way of thinking. You are now part of this family. You belong to each other. One of the deepest needs that we all have is, who am I? What's my identity? And where do I fit in? Where do I belong? One of the greatest challenges of our young people today is trying to answer those two questions. Who am I? And we have today so much confusion even about uh, gender, gender dysphoria, sexual dysphoria. These issues have grown and grown, I think, not just as identity issues, but because of the belonging issue. People want to fit in. And so then it becomes, in order to fit in, I have to, I have to somehow make myself like my peers in order to fit in. There's social pressure to go against the way I was brought up and the, the way I was taught by my family. So rather than diminishing or demeaning our young people, we should recognize they have real questions about who am I, where do I fit in, and then to help them pray for them and help them ask those questions in safe places where they can get the answer not from the world, not from their peers, but from the Lord. How about that? to get a new way of thinking, a transformed mind that thinks soberly about the self and their connection to God and others. In his book, Bowling Alone, Robert Putnam makes the case that loneliness is actually America's real epidemic. He says, people are searching for a place to belong. The issue of the 21st century appears to be, where do I belong? Belonging is a God-given human need. We all need and want the security of, a, of belonging to a family, belonging to a group, belonging to a team, belonging with people who need us just like we need them in a healthy and productive way. The fragmentation of the family and the rapid growth in technology have made people more mobile and isolated than ever before. The aching need to belong is at an all-time high. We need each other. We need the Lord, and we need each other. And when we deny these realities... We do harm to our own identity and our own sense of value and who we are. Have you found your true identity today? Giving your life to Jesus and trusting His invitation to come to Him and in doing so recognizing the invitation to be members of His family. There are several steps you could take today. Maybe you've never taken the step of saying yes to following Jesus. What's that look like? It means to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. 
I need help. I need, I need you. And, and I see in the Bible that it says that if I confess you as Lord, if I say with my mouth that you're Lord of my life, and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, if I believe that and say that, you'll receive me as your own, and you'll adopt me into your family, and you'll make me a child of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I accept your invitation to come follow me. I want to follow you. That's the entry point to this new family, to say yes to Jesus. And then having done so, have you ever put on the wedding ring? You've said I do, but have you ever put on the wedding ring? You know what the wedding ring is? It's baptism. Have you ever been baptized? These are realities that we do in family and in community. So baptism doesn't save you. I can go to a jewelry store and buy a wedding ring, and it doesn't make me married. In order to be married, I have to say I do. I have to accept that until death do I part, I will be yours and you will be mine. We belong to each other. Then we put on the rings to show everybody that we're married. doesn't make you married. It just shows that you are. That's what baptism is. It says, I've said I do to Jesus, and he said I do to me. And I have given my life to him, and now I want to be baptized to show the world that I am. That I am a follower of Jesus. You ever done that? You ever decided to be Baptized. I'm giving you practical steps on this entry point into God's family, what it looks like. And then, and then you might say, well, I need to be a member of a church. I need, I need to just not say I'm a Christ follower, but I need to join up. Now, I'm not saying you should join this church. We'd love to have you join this church. We'd like for you to pray about it. Maybe attend the class that we offer next month to learn more about church membership. But we're not the only church in town. We have partners all over the city that believe in Jesus and preach the gospel. You find one that you can join and then stick to it. But we'd love to have you. If this is your church, join up and stick to it. Through thick and thin, because we're not perfect. And by the way, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, because you'll mess it up. Join a church. Get involved in a community group. We have home groups that meet throughout the week. Plug in. That's where you really get to know people is in a community group. Now, by the way, there are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. Several of them in the reading I just read from Romans chapter 12. 59. Love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, greet one another. I mean, there's 59 of them. And you can't do the one another's without one another. You can't keep those 59 commands without each other. You need each other. You can't just look in the mirror and keep those 59 commands. You have to have a people that you belong to together. Would you keep this instruction in mind this morning? Here's the second way we can find our identity and belonging to one another. We can find our true purpose in serving one another. We can find our true purpose in serving one another. Now we're on verses 6 through 8. We're going to unpack those. It begins with having gifts. Talking about having gifts. And he gives a list. It's not a comprehensive list. It's a short list that Paul gives of various spiritual gifts that people are given within the body of Christ, within the church, the family of God. And he encourages us to use them. Having these gifts, put them into use. And so he says, having gifts that differ. So we're all gifted differently which is especially why we need each other, because I need your gifts and you need my gifts. And we 
in this way serve one another. And we grow together because we're serving one another. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Are you sitting on your gifts? Just not using them? You're denying them to the family? You have gifts that would cause the family to grow and mature and reach more people in our city, and you're sitting on your hands, sitting on your gifts? You, you might say, well, I don't think I have any. Yes, you do. If you're a Christ follower, you do. Maybe you just haven't discovered them yet. How much effort have you put into discovering them? God's given you spiritual gifts and you've yet to discover them? How do you discover spiritual gifts? Try some stuff. That's the best way, I think. You could take a spiritual gifts uh, inventory. We offer that in our Life on Life discipleship process. And that's one way you can kind of inventory things that you tend to favor. But I think the best way is just to go to work and try some stuff in your neighborhood, in your family, at a nonprofit in town, in your church. We like to say our church is a laboratory, so experiment, try some stuff, and see where you fit in like that. And you'll find your sweet spot, the place that you know what? It gives me joy to serve in this place. It's like God shaped me for it. Now, Paul lists some, uh, a few of them. He says, um, if it's prophecy in proportion to our faith. So when I think about prophecy, I'm thinking about preaching as much as anything, not foretelling the future, but forthtelling the Word of God. So, so preaching, proclaiming according to your faith. If service in our serving, some of us just love to serve people. We just love to wait on people, help people with things. If that's your gift, do it, and do it according to the grace God has given you. Don't sit on your hands serve you won't grow and you won't find your purpose in life until you start doing what god made you to do the one who teaches in teaching this is the person that's good at explaining things the one who exhorts in his exhortation this is the person that's good of telling it like it is some of us don't like to be around the person who has the gift of exhortation Hopefully, the person who has the gift of exhortation also has somebody nearby with the gift of mercy. But the person with the gift of exhortation is the one who will just tell you what you need to hear, whether you wanted to hear it or not. And if they're doing it according to the grace of God, they'll do it, as Ephesians 4.15 says, they'll speak the truth in love. They'll do it like that. And so these are some great gifts. Let's see what else we have. Uh, the one who contributes in generosity. Some of you just have the gift of giving. You have the gift of, of giving, whether it's money or whether it's other resource of loaning something from your garage or loaning your, your vehicle. or you're just, you're just a giver. And so you should give all the more because you have the gift. God's going to keep pouring out on you so you can give in greater abundance. It's your gift. The one... Uh, who leads with zeal. Someone's here that has the gift of, gift of administration or of leadership. Did you know it's a spiritual gift? You should be carrying the weight of leadership in your church, in your family, in your neighborhood, at the workplace. Lead. Administer. And do it with zeal, it says. The one who leads with zeal, don't do it eh, like that, but with fire, with passion. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Acts of mercy, that tends to be aimed at those who 
need mercy. People that are the weak among us, like, like children, like the nursery. If you're going to serve in the nursery, don't do it out of duty. Do it with cheerfulness. After all, some of these young moms are dropping off their valued treasure. And if you've got a grumpy face when they hand them off, they might just snatch them back. They might not trust us. So we're looking for people with the gift of mercy and of serving. That's a good twofer for somebody to work in the nursery or with children. Because those who need mercy need people gifted at, at mercy, right? First service this morning, I saw a young couple come in with their firstborn. And I saw them standing. They both, mom and dad, went into the nursery area. And it's their, they're looking into the room where the baby will go. I knew it was their firstborn. I walked up to them and I said, is this the first Sunday that you've dropped him off? And they went, uh-huh. They had this look on their face like, like this. They're trusting their baby like that. But they wanted to see the room. They wanted to see the crib. They wanted to see who was taking. And, and she said, after she stepped out, I said, are you okay? She says, yeah, but I didn't know any of those people. And I said, well, you can know this about them. They will love your child. They will take care of your child. And, I, and here's the thing I know. It's their first one, and so they're nervous about it. I'm glad we got somebody with the gift of mercy taking care of them. But I, I, I went ahead and told them, I said, after you have two or three more, you'll just throw them in there. It won't. <laughs> it's that first one. It's like they're graduating from something. Like, like that. You get to the third one, you say, take them, please. I just need a moment to myself. Like that. But, but that's how a first time mom is especially she needs someone the gift of mercy someone who would serve and we can't be the church without people using the gifts that God has given them and use and you find your purpose may I say something to you about myself something personal God called me to preach I, I had worked a secular job for 12 years. I had graduated from college. I had a wife and three kids. I, I made a good living. I had a house in the city and a house at the lake. I was worldly-wise looking like I had it all together. Fenced-in backyard with a golden retriever. <laughs> Two cars. I, I mean, you just look, just look at my life. You'd be like, man, that guy. And I was miserable. I loved my wife and I loved my kids, but I was miserable. You know, I was miserable because God called me to preach, and I wasn't doing it. I was, it was my purpose. Now, I don't know what God's called you to, but until I said, I surrender, I give up, I'm not going to live my life out of fear or out of comfort, I'm going to say yes. And it was scary, but there wouldn't be... A church here today, if I hadn't said yes, and if you hadn't said yes to helping us build this church and serving together, and there wouldn't be a preacher up here if I hadn't have overcome my fear of discomfort and my f fear of so many things at the time. And so next week we'll be 32 years old. Our church will be 32 years ago I said yes. I'm so glad I did because I wouldn't be able to see you and say, I love you, my brothers and sisters. We've been on this journey together. Many of you have been here since year one. 
and you didn't leave me? Wow, you had to watch me grow up and learn how to be this pastor? Yeah. Isn't that wonderful serving together, loving each other together? We need each other. First Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use it. God calls you. You, you won't really know your purpose until you do the thing He made you for. And if you do the thing He made you for, you can do it with passion and zeal, knowing this is what I was built to do. He baked it into my DNA when I got saved. That's what I must do. Uh, some years ago, there was an agnostic husband attending our church with his believing wife. And he would come because he loved her. He didn't believe. He was an agnostic. He would often stand in the, in the lobby waiting to ask me his agnostic questions. They were not easy questions. And every question that I responded to, he had more questions. And so we never got anywhere, really. He would smile. He was uh, friendly. He was a friendly agnostic. He wasn't uh, difficult. His questions were difficult. But he never moved closer to faith. But he did attend fairly regularly with his believing wife. She got ill. She, she came down with an illness. She couldn't keep the house. She couldn't take care of her kids. She couldn't provide meals. He was a professional and worked long hours. Well-educated man. And some of the women in our church started going over to the house and cleaning their house and preparing meals for them and helping with the kids. And after a couple of weeks of this, he called me and said, can you come over and talk to me again? I didn't really want to. I was kind of at my limit with all the questions when I couldn't see any place that he was really listening. He just had questions with not really searching for answers but he sounded different so I went to see him I sat at his dining room table and he said who are you people that you would come my own family hasn't done for me what these women have come and cleaned this house taken care of meals and who are you people and I began to share the gospel with him again and he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior and he said to me Gary, forgive me, but it wasn't your words. It was their service that led me to Jesus. You see, your purpose matters and how we serve together in our unique ways. It was their vacuuming and making of beds and washing of dishes and caring for children that broke his heart so that he still had some questions, and we still met week after week after that. But a change had happened in his heart, and the answers began to sink in. Because sometimes an agnostic is just a skeptic. They enjoy the questions. They're not really interested in the answers. He shifted from being a skeptic to be more like the man who Jesus uh, was asking him as he brought his son for healing. He said, do you believe that I can heal your son? He says, yes, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And so this man, instead of doubting the Lord, he began to doubt his own questions and believe in the Lord. And little by little, his questions were answered. It was service that changed him. 
You know, today is uh, the day that we celebrate and remember the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's the third Sunday of January. And speaking of the, the least of these, certainly the unborn are the least of these. And so we partner with Choices Women's Center here in Wilson. And we've partnered with them for 32 years financially and serving with them. And that's another great opportunity. The nonprofits in town, the Hope Station, uh, the Wesley Shelter, others I could name that we partner with, the Flynn Christian Home. We, we partner with them financially and in service. And so you find your place of service. I would say today that one of the things that keeps us from growing and really reaching our city for Jesus is that many of us are sitting on our serving hands rather than offering them and touching others in the name of Jesus. Yeah, we need preaching. I've been called to that, but preaching is only words without action. We need each other. We need to serve in order to reach this, this city with Jesus. Well, here's number three. We can find our true happiness in loving one another. So we can find our true identity in belonging to one another. We can find our true purpose in serving one another. Finally, we can find our true happiness in loving one another. We're in verses 9 through 13, and it begins in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be authentic. Let love be real. This is agape love that he's speaking of. It's God's kind of love. He, he gives us now, in verses 9 through 13, he gives us 13 ethical exhortations about love. If I were to preach this, it would be a 13-pointer. But I've decided to put it in summary fashion under one because I thought you might want to have lunch and dinner today. Because it would take a while. So I'm going to unpack these quickly, but the header is real love, genuine love. And then these 13 ways to to live it out that lead to true happiness. Uh, first, let me just give you a quick uh, teaching on the four Greek words that are translated love. The English language has one word for love, love. I love my puppy, I love chocolate, and I love my wife. Uh, but in Greek, they have more exact kinds of words for love. And so eros, it's where we get the word erotic in the English language, that's sensual or passionate love. You don't find that word in the Greek New Testament. It's not in the New Testament, but it is in classical Greek. Phileo, friendship love, that's where we get the, the name of the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's friendship love, brotherly love. Agape, well that's the, the word in verse 9. Uh, God's kind of love, selfless, sacrificial love. And these two words, phileo and agape, are all over the New Testament. And then storge, storge is occasionally found in the New Testament, almost always as a compound word, and that has the idea of affectionate love or, or the, you know, the kind of love where you express it in a certain way. Now, storge, phileo, and agape are all present in verses 9 through 13. Isn't that something? Three of the four Greek words are all right here. So let agape be genuine, and then the word abhor is, is actually apostegeo, which is not love. It's translated abhor or hate, but it's actually unlove. Like that is literal like that. So, but, but don't love evil. Hate evil. So love, let it be real. Hate evil. Hold fast to what is good. And then he says, love one another with brotherly affection. So he's using, he's using two of the three words right there. So agape one another with phileo. Storge, 
Storge's affection, phileo's brotherly. So he's got all three of the four Greek words in verse 10. Isn't that beautiful? Like, that's like love like crazy right here. So like love each other, like there should be this expressive, brotherly, affectionate love. And this is why we call each other brother and sister. This is why we give each other holy fist bumps. Now, now the Paul tells in some of the close of his letters, he'll say, greet one another with a holy kiss. That is one of the one another's, by the way. Greet one another with a holy kiss. But in our modern culture, the American culture, that could be awkward. I'm not sure it would be considered holy. You know, so, like, like greet your wife with a holy kiss to your kids, but I'm not sure about you kissing my wife. I don't think I'd like that. <laughs> That's who we are, right? And, don't, and guys, please don't come at me with a kiss. I'm not ready for any American men kissing me like that. Like that. Holy fist bump's good. Handshake. Put your arm around each other. Give each other a backpack. Back, uh, pat, pat on the back. Now, if you, if you go uh, to some other countries, there are different cultural ways of expressing yourself, right? And so, like, I've been on many mission trips to uh, countries, Indonesia, Uganda, uh, Middle East, Turkey. It just depends. I remember the first time I went to, to Jordan to visit some missionaries, and they introduced me to a young man. His, I think his name was Ahmed. And he came to me very joyfully and got all up inside of my space. Grabbed me by both shoulders and did the triple kiss. And I wasn't ready for the triple kiss. And I, I wanted to be, you know, appropriate to the culture. And I, I started on the wrong side. You, there's apparently, a, there's a, you got to go in left or right. And then he does the left or right. And then you end up. And then I didn't realize that you weren't supposed to actually touch. You're supposed to kiss in the air. Like, it's a triple kiss and the Jordanians practice. And so I made a mess of it. Started the wrong direction. Tried to touch when you're not supposed to. Didn't want to, but thought I was supposed to. Almost broke a tooth. It was a mess. Anyway, I'm, I'm overstating it. But, and you're like, well, Gary, which, which side do you start on? I'm not going to tell you. You figure it out when you go to the Middle East sometime. <laughs> that way you won't be laughing so hard at me. But there are different ways to express brotherly affection. And we're supposed to. I was making fun a little bit, right? I think it's kind of beautiful. I remember we brought a, a, a young man to visit with us for a week from Indonesia. And the Indonesians are so, they're so community-oriented. And um, we brought him, and it was kind of this time of the year, so he almost froze to death. That was one thing, because Indonesia is on the equator. So he almost froze to death. And every day he'd get up, and he, he'd go outside and start walking around my neighborhood. And after about the third day, he came to me and he says, I think I'm ready to go home now, Pastor. And I said, well, have you not enjoyed? I enjoy your family. I love your family. His name was Putu. Putu. I enjoy your family. And, I, you know, Miss Robin makes wonderful eggs. You know, he, he wanted eggs at every, every meal, by the way. But he said, when I walk around your neighborhood, no one comes out to greet me. Where are the people? I said, well, in America, we don't leave our house. Oh, I'm ready to go home now, he said. There's no, there's no people. There's no kids playing in the streets. There's no people. Where are the people? And I've been there, and I remember that I was there at one time. I've been there several times. At one time, I was there for almost a month, and I remember coming home and feeling the same thing he was feeling. Where is everybody? Where's the togetherness? If you've never had it, then you might not miss it, but if you ever have it, you'll miss it. It, it's connected to our happiness. 
In Philippians, it said, is there, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Paul says it makes me happy when you're loving each other. It leads to happiness, loving each other as God would have us. And by the way, it's the mark of a true believer. 1 John says, whoever says I love God but hates another believer is a liar. People who don't love other believers whom they have seen can't love God whom they have not seen. Christ has given us this commandment. The person who loves God must also love other believers. It's the mark of being a believer that you, that you love other believers, that you love one another. You, you look at these this list, uh, outdo one another in showing honor, it says in, in verse uh, 10. Uh, no, no, you, please, after me. No, I insist, after me. No, let me take the check. No, I'll pay. No, you pay for it. I'll pay. Outdo one another in honoring each other. Uh, don't be lazy. Don't be slothful in, in your zeal. Be fervent. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs. Show hospitality. Open up your homes. Invite other people over for meals at your house. These are all ways, 13 of them here, if you count them, of ways to show authentic love to one another. We live in a country where our Declaration of Independence says that we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And recently, it just came out last week, the annual report on uh, the, the World Happiness Report is the title of it. For 2023, came out. The U.S. ranked number 15. Country rate number 15. The country where we're supposed to be guaranteed the, this life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We didn't even rank in the top 10. Why is that? Economist Jeffrey Sachs says it's, it's social factors. He, he noted how fewer people report feeling that they have control over the choices in their lives. They, they, fewer people feel that they don't have anyone to count on in times of difficulty. They don't trust politicians. They don't trust public figures. And, and judged by the data on charitable giving, people are, are less generous towards others than they used to be. And Sachs concludes this. He says, America's crisis is, in short, not an economic crisis. It's a social crisis. That's why we're not happy. That's why we're declining in happiness. As Americans get more stuff, we have less happiness. Why not simplify? Why not say yes to the invitation of Jesus to come follow him and to be connected to Jesus and to connect it to God's people? Because we can't do the one another's without one another. Without one another. This is his call. Having this renewed mind, this new way of thinking in Christ, we can find our true identity in belonging to him and to one another. We can find our true purpose in serving one another. We can find true happiness in really loving the family of God, loving one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you call us first to yourself and then to one another. Lord, I pray for that person that's here this morning that's never given their life to you. Is that you, my friend, right where you're at, right where you're seated? Maybe you're watching online. You can pray and talk to the Lord right now. Pray like this, dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you were raised from the grave and that you live today. Come and live in me. I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Adopt me into your family. I want to be a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. As you're praying that prayer right now, believing, he will 
do the very thing you ask. That's why he came. Others are here today, and, and you've received Jesus. You're a Christ follower, but you've been isolating yourself. I'm not sure why. Maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe you feel some sense of shame about a life decision you've made. Maybe you just got out of the habit. But would you confess it right now and say, Lord, I repent. I'm going to draw near to you and draw near to God's people. I'm going to obey your word and recognize my need for fellowship. Lord, I want to obey and follow and be what you'd have me be. Give me the identity, the family that you've called me to. Lord, I say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.